Hello and welcome to episode 177 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik, technically on vacation, and here all by myself, as Jason has gone missing. We'll find him by next week and be back with an all-new episode then. But we would be remiss if we didn't at least touch this week on the huge, massive, incredible news that American Airlines has placed a non-refundable deposit for 20 of Boom's supersonic overture jets. So for comment on that, we now turn to Airline Weekly Editor and official AvTalk Chief Short Answer Correspondent, Ned Russell. Ned, does this small, non-refundable deposit by American Airlines move the needle at all on Boom, given the fact that they do not yet even have an engine for the aircraft? Not even close, Ian. Thanks, Ned. We'll have a bit more to discuss on next week's episode. Back in March, we spoke with Andy Taylor, the Chief Solutions Officer at NATS, the UK's air navigation service provider, to understand the idea of digital towers in air traffic control and how the concept has evolved to be more than just cameras and screens. We'll revisit our conversation with Andy on this week's recap of conversations that we've enjoyed throughout 2022. Joining us now is Andy Taylor, the Chief Solutions Officer for Digital Towers at NATS, which is the UK's air navigation service provider, as well as a pretty forward-looking organization from all that I've been reading about you, Andy, and all that you've been doing. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about it today. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to be here and hope that I can give you some uh, interesting insights to what we're doing now and uh, for the future. So we always like to talk about people having interesting job titles, and yours is both interesting and I feel like it, it sets you up for having to really deliver. I mean, you are the chief solutions officer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, to be honest, I think it's less what's in a title and more what you do that you're judged by anyway. But yeah, I mean, my role, I am an ex-air traffic controller. So I've worked at many tower and, and approach radar units for NATS. And I've also worked all around the world uh, in consultancy roles uh, and supporting Eurocontrol. I worked for them for three years um, on a detachment from from Nats as well. So I've got a very operational background. And my role actually is in terms of working with end users, airports, ANSPs, and getting the perfect solution for them to meet their operational needs. So having that operational background is kind of uh, where my solutions kind of come from. And I'm supported by a, a very strong technical team, both within Nats uh, Technical Services and also uh, within Searage Technologies, who are owned by Nats, but basically continue to be an independent and the leading supplier of digital towers around the world. So digital towers, let's talk about what we mean when we say digital tower, because the initial concept of the digital tower and what you're working on now has kind of evolved over time, hasn't it? Yeah, that's true. I think a lot of people, as soon as you talk about digital towers, immediately think about remote towers and small airfields in really remote locations and and being able to provide services from sort of centralized locations. And that absolutely is, you know, part of digital towers, but it isn't uh, the be all and end all. Uh, For me, a digital tower basically is where we install uh, camera arrays at an airport that provides camera data, panoramic views, which basically takes the, the views out of the window, which effectively are the analog data that air traffic controllers use every day, digitizes that such that we can display that either at the airport 
We can share it with other stakeholders at the airport, including the airport operations team, airport operations centers, but we can also augment it. So we can add other system data, integrate and display that. And what we've been doing most uh, recently with Searage has also been adding artificial intelligence. So it, digital towers are basically a way of providing a much more powerful air traffic management solution for airports, which can be accessed by the airport operators and other airport stakeholders. So it's it's quite something beyond just remote towers. So when you say you're adding a layer of digitization and then adding, I guess, different layers of technology on that, mm-hmm. the cameras thing, that seems to make you know perfect sense is a good place to start. But then you mentioned artificial intelligence. I was wondering if you could expand on what those layers are. Yeah. Well, like I say, the camera bit really just takes the analog data. And actually, I would suggest that around about 70% of of the data that air traffic controllers use is analog at the moment, looking out the window. So that's a significant amount of digitization just by that camera data. But artificial intelligence, where we we train models to use that image, uh, video image data, and also to use other data sources, be that radar. And recently, we've been doing quite a lot of work in the last two years during the pandemic of voice recognition, which again, may not seem like a you know, an unusually new subject, but it certainly is in aviation and particularly where that, that voice data is broadcast over the radio from pilots uh, rather than just the air traffic control users speaking to the voice recognition like, um, you know, sort of Siri or, or other kind of uh, voice recognition on, on your phone, for example. So that AI is basically taking lots of different data sources, processing it in real time, and then providing key outputs now, what we tend to do is we're focused on specific problem areas. Now, that basically means that the AI model can be trained quite efficiently in recognizing situations and being able to provide prompts for operators to to take on board. For us, definitely, this is about enabling the humans in the in the, the operation to be able to operate more efficiently, more safely because of the support that we can give them through a trained artificial intelligence model. It's, I think a lot of people are worried about AI. It, you know, it's suddenly this sort of, you know, is there some kind of robot controller? But it's not that at all. It's basically, for us, it's, you can program an algorithm and that can take a considerable length of time. In our experience, and particularly the Searage team that I work with, who've been working on, on AI for seven years or so, probably longer, uh, they realized early on that the using artificial intelligence machine learning um, techniques, they could program algorithms more effectively and more quickly than traditional programming methods. And when we deploy these AI models, as we have done in our Heathrow lab, and we're looking at uh, deployments elsewhere now, those AI models are effectively trained with real data, but we train the model and then deploy it as a closed model. So it's not the kind of AI that continues to learn while it's in situ, but it does mean, like I say, that we can get that programming effectively and rapidly deployed. So that's our approach to AI and digital towers right now. So some of the problems that I'm thinking about as an AI solution being helpful, I'm thinking about, you know, taxiing and being able to make sure that aircraft are are well-spaced on areas of the airfield that might not be as visible to the tower itself, or things like runway exits and turnoffs where you're dealing with 
aircraft that are already taxiing and turning off or, or something like that, making that a little bit, the increasing the situational awareness there. Are those the kinds of things or is this something else entirely? No, that's exactly um, some of the use cases that we've been focused on. So I think you've actually touched on quite a few there. So digital towers in general, even before you apply AI, can have some benefits in terms of areas that are either difficult to see or completely invisible from a traditional control tower. So you can apply uh, camera arrays to areas which enables you to effectively look through buildings that are um, within the line of sight from the tower. But having done that, you've digitized that data. You can now apply AI models to it. So we've looked at and tested AI in terms of looking at the turn process. So when the aircraft is on stand and being serviced, there are key milestones within that, you know, from the baggage being unloaded, reloaded, catering, fueling, all those kind of items, which all have to progress before the aircraft's ready to go again. Those kind of events can be monitored by the artificial intelligence, and that's through the visual camera data and also through other system data that it's receiving, making calls on the basis of looking at all of that data, but actually being able to sort through which is the most appropriate to use right now. So that may well be that the visual overtakes, you know, sort of uh, other maybe manually input data from other sources. But one of the other cases that you spoke about with the runway, we've been testing that at Heathrow. We actually ran a a test prior to the pandemic where we were looking at um, how we could enhance the Heathrow operation. The Heathrow control tower, its physical control tower is 87 meters tall. Uh, That means that the tower is one of the, well, it's the tallest in, in the United Kingdom. It's one of the tallest towers in Europe, and it goes into cloud, low cloud, before the operation requires us to go to the next stage, low visibility procedures, where you have to protect the ground landing aids, for example. So you're still in normal conditions, but basically the controllers have a restricted view because they're in cloud. This is quite common for a lot of major airports where they cover a large surface area or you know, they have a tall tower or both, and Heathrow is, is both of those things. So in our normal operation day-to-day, when we have that tower in cloud, we space the arriving aircraft further apart because what we're deploy- using is a procedural control element where we, the controllers in the tower at Heathrow monitor the aircraft using ground radar. So the actual aircraft object that they are monitoring is a radar return. So that's not as as high fidelity as as looking at the aircraft out of the window of the tower because you get a a blob on a radar screen. And also, it's only a one-second update. The radar updates once every second. So you're looking at a slightly historic picture, lower fidelity than looking out of the window. And so we increase the spacing between the arrivals just to provide us with an additional safety buffer so that by the time the aircraft can be confirmed as clearing the runway and its safety strip, so that we can allow the next aircraft to land, it takes a little bit longer than it does by looking out the window. So if we can employ a visual observation of those exits in conditions where the tower controllers can't see, then that was our approach. So we have deployed, in addition to the panoramic cameras, we've deployed additional cameras that overlook the runway exits, the rapid exit taxiways off the north runway. And that then had an AI model trained to understand what the aircraft, particularly what it was looking for in terms of the tail of the aircraft, the tail fin clearing the safety strip 
So what the AI model was trained to do quite rapidly was to give us two triggers, visual triggers that can be provided to the controller on out-of-the-window video display or alternatively on their radar displays. But basically, it provides them with a trigger to say, this event has occurred. The aircraft tail has cleared the runway safety strip. So because it's doing that based on visual data and the cameras are high-resolution, ultra-high 4K cameras, so they have massive amounts of pixels and the aircraft is looked at in terms of you know being hundreds of thousands of pixels and it's looking for the last, very last pixel of that tail fin clearing a line which is effectively a pixel thick. So this is even more accurate than a human controller can do looking out of the window normally. And it triggers an event to say that aircraft has now crossed this line, assuring safety that the next aircraft could land, roll down the runway, and there is no chance of a wingtip to tail collision between those two, which is one of the key tasks that we're supplying. So that basically means that if we could prove that the system was capable of doing that routinely and to a high level of accuracy, which is what we analysed more than 40,000 arriving flights at Heathrow doing, and all sorts of uh, different conditions and day and night, daylight, darkness, different weather conditions, then we would be able to apply a normal final approach spacing. So not increased spacing, therefore reduced landing rate, but normal landing rates. So that would basically mean even in tower and cloud situations, we could continue to operate at the normal traffic levels, reducing delays that are impacted during that time, and to basically increase safety as well. Because as I say, the level of accuracy of it, when you're looking at the last pixel on the tail of an aircraft crossing a line that's only a pixel thick, likewise, you know, that is incredibly highly accurate data that it's it's using. So that's our concept of operation. That's what we've um, tested and validated so far. The results of it were so positive that we actually decided that the next stage would be to look at low visibility operations, low visibility procedures, in fact, where we protect slightly further away from the runway centerline because what you're looking to do is to avoid the tail fin interfering with the ground landing aid, the instrument landing system that the next arriving aircraft is following. So even though you apply slightly larger spacings for that, what we'd be looking at would be to try and just uh, tease those down just a little bit in order to, on the back of that high level of accuracy of the aircraft clearing that line and being able to do it when you're using camera data that's running at 25 to 30 frames per second. So, you know, up to 30 times faster than radar updates, but to pixel level of accuracy, not radar, you know, blip accuracy. So this, all of these things I've described previously as, as you know, any high-performing team, and I, I see the Heathrow air traffic control team as, you know, a high-performing team. Those controllers, just like, I don't know, kind of the high-performing teams in whatever your sport may be, those teams never just take their day-to-day performance as being, you know, that's as good as it gets. They're always looking to try and get that little bit better, that little bit improvement to be able to do, you know, that perfect serve, that perfect goal, whatever it might be, more often and obviously in an air traffic control environment more safely. So what's the future of the digital tower? Is there a move to expand where the AI is helping controllers? Is this something where you need fewer controllers per shift? Or is this something where you continue to find ways to incrementally increase the efficiency of the towers? And that's really where you're headed. 
there's a number of potential goals you could aim for. I think my focus, as I say, is is not so much from the aim to remove players from the field, but basically to get that performance more regularly assured and to as high a level as possible. Also to be able to, you know, looking at the effects just recently of the global pandemic, what we've certainly discovered is, you know, from that is the ability to dial down, dial up operations can actually be quite difficult, especially when you're you're set for high levels of, you know, performance and traffic delivery. Then it's suddenly removed and then it suddenly starts to come back again. And, you know, you want to be able to operate just as well as you did, despite the fact that you've not been able to, um, you know, sort of practice real live operations for for some time. So all of that can actually be, I think, the use cases for future where you can sort of dial it down, dial it straight back up again, still operate then at just as effectively as you did, you know, sort of a few months before having had, you know, impacts. I'm hoping that these you know, we don't see these impacts again, but it's these are use cases that we've never seen before. But actually, I think it, it is something quite relevant. Beyond that, I think the sky is the limit in terms of what you can do with this. The key for me is the digital tower. So that 70% of that analog data being digitized, being able to be integrated with other data systems on the airport, rather than them all being standalone, where a human operator, air traffic controller, or, you know, airport ops person, apron controller, where they have to look at different systems and effectively process this themselves. You know, that that integration just really helps in terms of reducing their workload and improving efficiency. But also, like I say, there are opportunities then to improve that because a human can only focus on one area at a time. We'll like to think we can multitask, but actually what we do is we, you know, our brain flits from one thing to the next. And we train controllers for an extensive period of time before they work on their own in order to get their scan from one place to the next to the next. With artificial intelligence and, you know, 360 degrees of coverage visually, visual camera data and integrated other data sources, that AI model or AI models can basically be looking in all different directions simultaneously. So the controller can then be drawn to you know, the point that the decision needs to be made. Because certainly humans, and I go back to those high-performing teams that we have in air traffic control, you know, Heathrow and, and other you know, airports and ANSPs around the world, having the controller there to be able to make the right decision, but supported by the tool that's pointing them as to the where the, the next kind of area is that they need to put their attention to and provide the decision, that I think is a real game changer. Goes from, from reliant upon a scan, waiting for the controller to scan back to that. Now they'll do this quickly, but it's still still not as quick as being done 25, 30 frames per second every minute of the day, You know, regardless of, of whether that person's been in the seat for five minutes or, you know, or 55 minutes it still is working to the same level and drawing their attention to what they need to do. So I think I think it's a real game changer. For me, digital towers are like the smartphone when it, it came on the market, suddenly opened up possibilities. Those applications that we started off with, we've got hundreds of applications now that run on that smartphone. And I think digital towers are effectively that smartphone integrating all of these data sources and basically um, you know, providing applications that are specific 
to the the airport. You know, I, I don't have the same apps as you've got on your phone, I'm sure. We might share some, but basically they'll be specific to our type of, you know, whatever we're interested in. And so I, I see international hubs having probably very similar applications, smaller regional airports, perhaps maybe having some of those or maybe having specific ones to them. So I think we're on the cusp of something really quite new and innovative for aviation and particularly for air traffic control airports. That was Andy Taylor, Chief Solutions Officer at Nats, talking about the concept of digital air traffic control towers and where the concept is going in the years to come. We hope you enjoyed this little recap, and we'll be back next week with an all-new episode. Thanks, as always, for listening, and until then, happy tracking. Happy tracking.